Today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is the week where the Lord wants me to apply Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Fuji had uh, prayed over the church in Villafranca, and for those of you who have been with us for a little while, you know that this church has a very special place in our hearts. We, um, there are global partners. We've sent multiple teams of youth to run English camps, and to let you know, the reason why we go to Spain, for those of you who don't know, is that Spain is, even though there's a, a very big Catholic church, the Catholic church in Spain is almost secularistic. And in terms of people who, are, who have turned to Christ and are born-again Christians, it's less than 1%. So uh, actually, Europe itself is more atheistic than ever before. So it's one of the reasons why we partner with churches like the church in Villafranca. Just to let you know, and I want to really ask for your prayers, um, there, the church is undergoing a lot of spiritual attack. I think partly it's due to you know, the realities of sin, both in uh, just in the world around us, within the church itself, and, and so the pastor, members, they're having a real great challenge. And so I really want to ask you to pray for them. Um, the elders and I, we... Uh, decided I'm, I'm going to go on Friday, I'm sorry, tomorrow to Spain. And this was decided uh, Thursday. And I'm going to mediate uh, a really big dispute. And the hope is that it is what little knowledge I have that God would use it to um, just to be an encouragement. And I go not on behalf of myself, but on behalf of Wellspring Church. If you ever read the book of Acts, you know what uh, how Paul will go to literally thousands of miles in a ship, which usually takes about a month for him to cross over. In a plane, it takes a day. And, um, but I'll be going there from tomorrow to Friday. And so it's sort of a whirlwind trip. And I'm there, it's literally talking to a lot of angry people. So I really wanna ask that you pray for me, pray for that church. It's an incredible church, if you ever get a chance to know. And for some of you who have gone, you know how much they love Jesus, and yet sometimes sin blinds us. And so I really ask you to do that. Anyway, part of this message today is that idea of trusting the Lord with all your heart in all circumstances. As uh, Justin read, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, in God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. You either, let me read that again, know yourself as nothing, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things, on people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see what is above you. And I think Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 has this idea. It's the idea of until we see 
who God is, as we talked about last week, and we talked about this idea of decision-making through the lens of TAP, trust, as today we'll see, acknowledgement and paths. And until we are able to see God, to look up and see his character, see how he's been faithful to us, how has he answered our prayers in the past, not just our personal prayers, but as well as the prayers of so many others. And then historically, if you look at scripture, you see, and the Bible is just constantly talking about, here's how God has been faithful. He delivered the people of Israel. You know, they cried out to God for over 400 years in enslavement. That's a long time, four centuries of enslavement. And then it says in Exodus that God heard their cry. And you might think to yourself, why did God wait so long? To God, what is one day uh, for us is really a thousand years. And so when God sees things, he sees things in an infinite perspective. And he also asks that we trust his character, who he is. So C.S. Lewis's point is until you are able to see God and not look at yourself, you're not going to know how to live life. So here's this big question is trusting God, which we spoke about last week, a lot of time in that. And then the next steps, the acknowledgement. How do we acknowledge God? How do we acknowledge him enough that we can step forward and make choices? And by the way, you make choices nonstop. Today, perhaps, you made a choice to get into an argument with someone you love. Or maybe you decided to forbear and say, I'm going to let this go. That's a choice. Obviously, you made a choice to what type of clothing you're going to wear, what time you left your home. So there's these constant choices. And Proverbs is telling us that one of the key ways that we make wise and God-honoring choices is to acknowledge him, to acknowledge him. And I'm going to look at a number of different ways that we acknowledge God in accordance with Scripture. First is we have to realize, we realize that the way we acknowledge God is in our entirety, with totality. You look at the words that the Proverbs writer uses, all your heart, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So we have to give everything that we have to the Lord. And I know that's really hard. Um, the illustration that I gave last week about the idea of during that uh, with the youth kids where they had to take that step off the platform, that ride free fall in order to actually participate in the ride. You can't just go halfway. You have to give everything. And it takes a lot because you're trusting in the harness or you're trusting in the operator or the park to say, I'm going to be safe. That's a big trust. Every time you walk into an airplane, I don't know if you realize it, but you're trusting a couple of things. You're trusting that the window will not just suddenly blow out at 12,000 feet. And as we know, that's a trust today. <laughs> you're trusting that that person, man or woman, who is in that cockpit actually knows exactly what they're doing. That's a lot of trust with your life. And that decision is based solely on the idea that this has taken place before. I think everything will be okay. But we have no idea if that's going to happen. So 
the only way you actually do trust is you just go on the plane. You know, if you stuck half your foot on the plane and as the gateway, you know, where the, the on-ramp was uh, sort of right there, and if you were to take one foot onto the plane, the other foot off, and you say, well, I'm trusting because one foot is on the plane, the answer is no, you're not. You're not trusting. There's really nothing uh, that says that you can trust something or someone half-heartedly. You're either revealing that you do trust or you don't trust. And so that's the message of Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, is that you have to realize that this is going to take total acknowledgement. And total acknowledgement means that even those priorities that we have, those pursuits in our lives, we are pursuing God over all things. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. And there's an assumption that Jesus makes is that you have to first pursue Christ fully, relinquish all your understanding, and the promise is that the blessings of that seeking first will flow forth to you. Now, uh, one way we do this is for those of you who are parents, you have children. And might I add that I, I think for most of us who have children, our children are perhaps some of the dearest persons in our lives. We might not always feel that way, but really when you think about the money you spend, the time you spend, the angst you have, surely that reveals that your children mean a lot to you, more than probably even yourself. And I hope this is not the case, but maybe even more than your spouse. <laughs> Shouldn't be that way, but sometimes it is. When we place our children's lives into the Lord's hands, when we seek first his kingdom, even with our own children, the promise is that God is going to bring forth blessings. It might not be the blessings that we think, but the blessings of the Lord will come. I remember when, when uh, we were raising kids, especially as they were entering into their teen years, um, a number of different parents, and I know some of you have wrestled with this idea of where you have kids, and in those teen years especially, there tends to be a sense of uh, where a teenager will say, I don't want to do what my parents tell me to do. That sort of comes with the territory of, frankly, sin. And... Eventually, it's, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to. And earlier on, they might have loved to have gone to church. They might have loved to see, but to them, church was about friendships. Maybe it was, I love the nursery upstairs. I love, you know, playing or learning or whatever, doing whatever, getting this prize. But eventually, it will happen where their love will no longer be for being with a group of people or They'll just simply say, I don't want to go anymore. And once you relinquish that responsibility and instead of taking hold and saying, no, no, you know what? As a family, we are, this is not only a priority, this is a responsibility. As long as you're in my house, this is what you're doing. I have found that when, and this is anecdotal, I know, but I think it's generally true, is that once you relinquish that decision to your children, they choose not to go. Frankly, that makes a lot of sense. If 
their hearts are already inclined to not want to worship the Lord, and you give them an option, their instinct is going to be, well, I'm gonna choose not doing it, of course. But once you give up that role, the impact of that decision is dramatic. So often, those kids who do not keep their consistent um, presence in the body of Christ, by the time they hit their later years, they just simply say, well, this is my pattern. This is my habit, and I decide not to go. But those who actually even compel those under authority to sit under, hopefully, gospel preaching, to be amongst others who are also walking with the Lord, to see and witness people who actually have a love for Christ, the influence of that is immeasurable. And so I will, I, my plea to you parents is that don't give up yet. And you know, I was really encouraged this week, we met with a, a member family and they had shared how for their kids, they said, you have to serve the church. You have to serve the body of Christ. And I think the impact of that is dramatic as well, that you're giving not just of, for your own sake, but you're serving others. And so I, admittedly, I went home and I said, uh, most of my kids do serve except for one. And I had to have a talk and say, you know what? I think you need to do this. And I think it's right to do this. Why? Why? Because for me, it's not about my kids. It's about my heart, actually. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And part of that is recognizing that to be in the context of believers is a really crucial part of growing in faith. And so it's so critical for us to be able to recognize how important it is for you to be here. Now I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here listening to this. But I tell you parents, there will come a day, no matter how obedient your kids are, where their instinct will be, I don't wanna go. And by the way, I've experienced that myself. I have. And you have, if you're honest, where you're busy. Life is full, you're tired, you're not feeling so well. And the instinct is, I'd rather not be there. I give this to you more as an illustration to say that this seeking of the Lord, this realization that God demands our total worship and the acknowledging of him is a critical part of the decisions that we make, not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us whom we love. Alistair Begg says this, in all your ways, in all your heart, making decisions in light of the word of God, doing so on a regular, uh, daily basis is critical. Determining to do so directly and promptly and regularly and consistently. And one of the words there that he uses is an important one, promptly, promptly. That you're always gonna get to a decision point in your heart, especially when it comes to choosing the Lord or not, where Satan and sin just clutter your heart and you say, you have a lot of time. You don't really have to focus on this. Why don't you just care for yourself? You know, it's just inconvenient. Promptly answer that temptation. Speak to it. Make a choice to say no. I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to acknowledge him in all my ways with all my heart. 
So this realize that it is total acknowledgement. Second, recognize that he is Lord and that because he is Lord, you trust him. Lordship is a really big word. We don't really have lords today, but it used to be in the feudal system that if you were a lord, the serfs, the peasants, they were under pain of death required to obey. And so here is the same idea, is that you recognize that until you see Jesus as Lord, you won't acknowledge him. Michael Jordan, if any of you ever had a chance to listen to his Hall of Fame speech, I really commend you to it because it's a very interesting speech. Not a good speech, but it's an interesting one. He spends most of the time pretty much saying how much better he is than everyone else and how bad those people around him were and how much their anger or their pride would drive him to be the best to the point where he would just like, if he, I mean, to use an expression, to cut them off at the legs, you know, type of mentality. And it worked. I actually think he's the greatest basketball player who ever lived. On top of that, after he played basketball, he's become an incredibly successful businessman, a billionaire. And so you could say someone like him, he doesn't need anything or anybody. In fact, the last thing he does is acknowledge anyone except himself. But one day he will. He will acknowledge Christ. He doesn't today, but he will. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we're told that Paul writes this hymn and he says that, uh, but Jesus emptied himself, made himself nothing, took on the form of a slave, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it just shows all that Christ has done, the humility. But then it says, there's a turn. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him so that the name of Christ is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That bowing and confessing Christ, Paul says it's everyone who will do it, everyone, whether they worship Christ or not. There's gonna be two types of people at the last day. The first are those who willingly submit to Christ as Lord believe him, who say, you are Lord, you are king, and who delightfully do so, trusting and knowing with certainty that to submit to the Lord is to be the happiest, most delightful, satisfying person who could ever walk the face of the earth. The flip side of that is that there are some people who are going to worship, not worship, but they're going to kneel. They're going to submit. They're going to bow. They're going to hate doing it because their instinct is to acknowledge only oneself. Michael Jordan will worship the Lord. And so will every single person you know who hates Christ, who defiles the name of Christ, who when they speak of Jesus' name, it's just a swear word. But there will be a day where it'll no longer be like that. They will confess Jesus is Lord. You do not want to face Jesus in that way. C.S. Lewis, um, you know, in his book, Weight of Glory, he talks about this idea. There are two types of immortal people. Everyone's immortal, but there's two types. The first type of immortal person is the person who, after trusting in Christ, will be with the Lord forever, 
And when you, if you were to see that person, like someone who, if some of you have lost loved ones, have said goodbye in death, and now they're with the Lord, I tell you, if you were to see that person today in glory, C.S. Lewis says this, you would be tempted to worship him or her. That's how glorious they would be. The, the shining reflection of God's glory in Christ would be so dramatic that we would all fow, bow down and fall at, at that person's feet because it would be so stupendous, fantastical. But Lewis notes there's another type of person, the person who has rejected Christ. They too are immortal, but they would be the worst nightmare and horror story you could ever imagine if you were to see this person. There is no movie that could give a picture of what this person would be like. You would cringe in terror. This is what we're dealing with when we're listening to a text like Philippians 2. And so you have an opportunity today. Part of decision-making is to say, Lord, you are Lord. You recognize he's Lord. You submit to him. You submit your own will to him. You trust him, and because you trust him, you know who he is, but you also believe who he is. You believe the character and nature of a sovereign, holy, just, and righteous God. And you can't help but say, I will follow you because I know you are that great, that grand, that powerful. So the recognition aspect is a, is a key point of acknowledging him. Another way we acknowledge him is we leave behind our own strategies. Now, when you're making decisions, there are all sorts of decisions that you are perhaps in 2024 are making. New career move. Should I date this man or woman? Should I marry this man or woman? Um, should we get a divorce? Should we choose this to be our church? Many. Should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? So I know some of you are big time researchers. When you make a decision, you just go on the internet, you, you have a spreadsheet, you plot out credits and debits, you plot out the pros and cons, you color code everything, and, and you're weighing it all and you're looking. And I don't know if you realize this, but eventually every decision is a decision of faith, no matter how much you say, I know exactly what's gonna happen, because you don't. In the end, you don't really know the end result. And so you do everything you can, and I don't think that's a bad thing. There is a place for diligence and research and considerations and counsel, as we talked about last week. But after all of that, after you gather it, what I believe Ephesians, uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is saying is, take that all and now put it aside. Move it over and acknowledge him, turn to him, trust him, seek God's word. No, he will give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37. There's no doubt about that. But he will give you the desires of your heart. If your heart is leaning on your own understanding, then he's gonna give you that desire. Meaning, you'll get what you want. Oh, you wanna play video games all day? Yeah, go ahead but see what the result will be 10 years from now when your brain is mush. You know, if you want to take that job, go ahead, but you'll have no faith. You'll have no faith. He will give you the desires of your heart, but if you want him, 
He will give you the desires of your heart. He will answer you. He will show you himself. So to make a right, God-honoring, wise decision, you have to do all the research, plan, believe it behind, put it aside, seek God's word, seek the prompting of his spirit, spend some time with the Lord, seek wise counsel, Remember, yeah, these are factors, but at the end of the day, what you care about most is not the decision, but him. Once you veer over to the decision is what I need most, I need the answer, then you won't seek him. It's all about him. And that's just played out in so many different ways throughout your life, not just in that point of decision. The decision points, by the way, are happening on a regular, ongoing basis. But what's happening is that as you are walking with the Lord, with others, in, per, in your own personal devotional life, listening to sermons, hopefully that are pointing you to Christ, all of that together leads you to a place where you say, I want Jesus more than even this decision. And by the time you make the decision, you will know it's exactly where you need to be. Next is explore, this is how you acknowledge him, explore the lessons that you learn about what happens in this decision, regardless of the outcome. So I tend to think that we always think, okay, if I, um, if I get the job, if I start the relationship, then God is certainly behind it because he's blessing me. But I don't know, read the book of Job and you see it doesn't always happen that way. You know, read Jonah, read... So much of scripture, David is a great example of someone who just has veered off dramatically. And after he commits adultery, he is forgiven of his sins. God has forgiven him of his sins after Nathan confronts him. But you know what the Lord says is that there will not be a day after where the sword will not depart from your house. And the rest of Kings and Samuel is all about the sword, about infighting about his own descendants destroying one another. There's a consequence to the decisions that we make. And yet, even in the midst of that, we can see, hopefully, that God is showing us something. He's teaching us something. Some of us are in the middle of some significant decision points in your life right now. And know this, if you have eyes of faith, regardless of what happens, and what should happen in, in that decision or the outcome of it, the consequences of it, you can still grow. You can still learn. So explore, consider so something to ask of others. Is there a way that I can still grow um, in, in this decision point? And then lastly, the way, a, a key way we acknowledge him is we thank him. We thank him for whatever happens regardless of the outcome. And we regularly thank him. I mean, that sounds like acknowledgement, right? You're, you've received so many blessings. There is not a single person in this room who can say God has not been kind, has not been gracious, he's not been faithful. He has been. He's never let us down. As Polycarp said, 86 years I've walked with him. He's about to be torn apart by animals, by lions, and he says, why should I ever think that God has not been good to me? God has been so good to me. So we thank him regularly. It's not just a seasonal November thing. It's a 
today thing. As soon as you, I don't know if you ever get opportunities to thank him for the fact that you have breath. Yesterday it was raining hard. We're driving. I was driving with my kids. They were driving. And uh, I was just, thank you, Lord, for not having us crash right into this car and get into a big car accident. And there are so many ways that God has been faithful to us. We just have to have eyes of faith. We have to acknowledge him always. That's the acknowledgement, the A. So trust, acknowledge, acknowledgement, and then lastly, paths. In this world, I want you to know that every decision you make, the path is always crooked, not straight. It's always crooked because of sin and the brokenness of our world. So you should assume that there's going to be some sort of diversion, something that is not going to go exactly the way that you had planned. Anyone who has served in the military or in special forces knows, or any type of planning concept that things don't always go according to plan, especially in battle. So instead, you have to be prepared for the fact that it's not going to go according to plans. And here we see in scripture that this concept of the crooked path is all throughout the Bible. Just a couple of places when God is talking to Israel through Isaiah and Isaiah 45, two and the King James uh, poetically writes this, I will go before thee, I being God and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. God is saying he knows Israel is just veered off and there's no way that they themselves can make it back. This is, if you've ever been lost, if you go into the woods, I, when I go hiking, I use uh, all trails. And thankfully, I have the pro plan. And with the pro plan comes GPS. You know, and so I'm always following that all the time. And sometimes make little mistakes, veer off. But then, and there are times where I'll, me and uh, the group of people that we're hiking with, we'll run into somebody and they will be totally lost. One time it was this mother and daughter and they were using a paper map. I don't know if you've ever, if you go hiking, you get a little map. It's a trail map, but it's almost unreadable. And so they're literally spinning the paper around, trying to figure out exactly where they are. And they had one bottle of water. And, and so I showed them the map and I said, uh, all trails. And I said, here's where it is. Here's where you need to go. Because without that, every tree looks the same. Every branch looks the same. Every path looks the same. And you could go in circles. And people do. And as we talked about earlier, they die in that process. God is saying here is that when we are living this life, without him, you will always go veer off. You will always go off the path and you'll be going in circles. The path is crooked. And what Jesus does, what the New Testament does in Luke chapter three, Luke quotes this same passage, but he quotes it in chapter three, verses four through six. And this is what he says. The voice of one speaking about John the Baptist, crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see, uh, shall see the salvation of the Lord. What scripture is so clear about is that when we make decisions, get ready for diversions. Get ready to make poor decisions. And if you're like me, you've made some poor decisions. 
when I first got married, um, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a place to minister. We were moving from uh, uh, Amherst, Massachusetts, and I was working on a, a second degree program in Chicago. And I didn't have a place to minister, and so this, uh, my, um, this man, just out of the blue, calls me up and says, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm a pastor of this church, and uh, I heard you were looking for a ministry position. Would you come and consider taking on this position as a pastor? And so I thought to myself, okay, I'm newly married. I have no way to make any way to support my wife, and uh, I have to do whatever I can to, get some, to make some money. So I went and talked to this pastor. We had literally like about a 30-minute conversation. I said, okay, I'll take the job. So I took this job without even talking to my wife, which, by the way, I've made many husband 101 mistakes. And uh, when I did that, it was perhaps one of the most difficult ministry experiences of my life. The church itself had gone through, before I got there, a big church split. And the people who were there were angry, so... Yeah, much like what I'm going to be walking into next week. But they were so angry. And I was also young and brash and an idiot. And so I had this, you know, arrogant, proud attitude, thinking that I was, I knew everything and what I was doing. And so it led to just terrible consequences. Just a lot of foolish choices that I had made. And for two and a half years, it was an incredibly difficult time. Newly married, we were struggling in our marriage. We we're barely hanging on, me and my wife. And ministry was terrible. I felt so responsible for putting us into this really horrific situation. Um, there were so many times I wanted to quit, didn't. It was bad. But here's the thing, is that what God always does is he makes our poor choices, even sinful choices. And by the way, I really believe that was a sinful choice because I, I did it completely out of my pride and out of my fear of not being able to provide for my family. And so God took this sinful choice and through that, he showed me so much. I actually met Grace because I was there. There are people in my life who I've encountered during my time in Chicago. God takes so many Terrible choices that we make, foolish, sinful, broken choices. But Romans 8, 28, God works all things for our good in accordance to his will, his purposes. He takes our crooked paths, he makes them straight. How do I know this? John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know what, the, what Jesus is doing there? He's guaranteeing that if you are his, no matter how much you make moronic choices and fail and are sinful and self-centered, he will bring you back because he's the way. He's going to bring you back to himself. Now, here's the question. How does he do it? How does he bring us back? There's only one way. The crooked path he had to bear our crookedness. And the way that that would happen is that his own body would become crooked. I mean, that's really what happens. On that day where his hands are pierced, his head is covered in a thorns where blood is pouring out, 
where his body is broken, torn in two, torn asunder, as represented by the curtain being torn in two. Jesus is crooked so that we would be made straight towards him. That is a guarantee, and that is such good news. I am not saying we should go out and make really poor decisions. I'm just saying we're going to anyway, whether you want to or not. And I try the best that I can not to, but I continue to do so. Yesterday we were with my family and I was, I asked them the question, my kids, I said, so what are some ways that looking back that you could say, me and mom, we could have done things better. Is there anything that we could have done that? You know, we're eating dinner and out. It was sort of the last meal before they all head off to school or to different places. And at first, it was just really quiet. And and one of them said, you know, there really isn't anything. And I thought, oh, that's so good. (laughs) It's so good. I'm so so thankful. Until someone said, well, actually. (laughs) And then once the floodgates opened, they just burst open. Well, there's this and this and this. And we're like, oh, okay. Honestly, some of those things, I I thought to myself, yeah, no, that's right. We, you know, one of them was discussing sex, actually. <laughs> we could have done that better, you know? And uh, I'll talk to you about all of that later for those of you who are interested. But I, I think that if I was just caught up with all the mistakes and failures, it would be so discouraging. But Christ, his body was made crooked so that my path would be made straight. There is no doubt that if you are in Christ and believe in him, you are on the way. He is the way. He is the means by which you will find him and pursue him. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Let me close with this story. There's a man by the name of Robert Robinson. He lived in London, England. On a bright Sunday morning, it was really just a beautiful day, but he felt miserable because on that day, he looked out and all the different people were walking to church. This is early on when most people went to church on Sunday. But in the midst of the crowd, Robinson felt very lonely and despairing because the sound of the church bells that were ringing reminded him of a faith that he once had where the gospel and Christ was such a central part of his life. But it had been years since he had ever stepped inside a church. So in this time of disillusionment, uh, this uh, reflection of his own one-time faith where he had such a passion for the Lord, he could feel how dark his heart was. As he's standing there and as he's looking out, um, waiting for a cab, a horse-drawn cab, a carriage, uh, he lifts his hand to wave down a cab and The cab pulls up and there's this young woman who's dressed ready for church on the Lord's Day. So he waves the cab driver on, but then the woman says to the cab driver, please stop, and says to Robinson, sir, I'd be happy to share this carriage with you. Robinson reluctantly got in. And as the carriage rolls forward, he introduces himself and he says, my name is Robert Robinson. And as he says the name, she she has this flash of recognition in her eyes. And she says, that's an interesting coincidence. So she reaches down into her purse and takes out a small book of inspirational poems. 
And she opens it and hands it to him and said, you know, I just read a poem written by a man by the name of Robert Robinson. Is this you? And he said, yes, I wrote those words years ago. And then the lady said, oh, how wonderful. Imagine I'm sharing a carriage with the author of these very lines. But Robinson barely heard her. He just became absorbed in the words that he wrote and he was contemplating that poem. And the poem goes like this. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. And then he looked at the bottom of the poem and it said this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. Robertson, Robinson would later put those words to music, but at the time, it was just a poem. So, as Robinson sat in the carriage, he could barely read those few last lines. His eyes were filled with tears, and he says to the woman, I wrote these words, and I've lived these words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to want, leave the God I love. And then the woman suddenly understood what he meant, she meant, he meant. And she, he said, you also wrote, here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. And she then said, Mr. Robinson, you can offer your heart again to God. It's not too late. And it wasn't too late because at that moment, he turned his heart back to the Lord and walked with the Lord the rest of his days. It is not too late for you. If you have been on a crooked path, making decisions poorly, turning away, not believing, not trusting, the Lord, even if you don't feel it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. All he asks is you, Give of yourself, trust him, believe in him. And to make sure that you know he will never fail you is the cross. The cross is that final promise that he will not let you go. As you take this communion today, I hope that just hits you so hard. And when you make decisions, every time remember who he is what he has done. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you that you did not have a change of heart or decision to say, I can't do it. I'm not gonna save them. I'm not gonna send Jesus. No, Oh God, you love the world so much that you gave your only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. May that truth be the anchor by which we make choices in this world. May we never think that you have been unfaithful, not true to your promises. Even if the outcome that we, of the choices that we make are poor, lead to devastating, horrific consequences, we know that we can rest assured that our lives are in your hands, our eternity is in your hands. And so therefore, we believe with all our heart that when you take our hearts, you seal it in the courts above. So I pray for these dear friends who are before me, 
Some are getting ready to make a big choice, big decision this year. May they trust you, Lord. May they not lean on their, on their own understanding. May they acknowledge you. And what a wonderful promise. You will make our crooked path straight. That's good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.